Last Sunday, we began this message series, this new message series about prioritizing self-care in our lives. And it was pretty cool, and even more than cool, very gratifying, very rewarding throughout this past week to see in social media, uh, in conversations with folks in Wellsprings, in email exchanges, the ways in which people were accepting this invitation. Because i got to say, this is, the, this is the best part of being a preacher. It's not saying all the words. It's actually being involved in an ongoing dialogue with people about things that matter. And so it has been very gratifying to see the ways in which people have accepted this, this invitation to take care of ourselves in some deeper ways, to reflect on what it means to practice self-care. If you were here last week, you might remember that at the end of the message, I gave us all a little bit of home practice. This includes myself as well, too, with this question. How are you caring for yourself? That we would ask this question of each other and being willing to answer this question when it's asked of us as well, too, to kind of build and continue to build this culture in which we do not treat ourselves as machines, as simply things that function, but instead as beings capable and worthy of care. Now, I asked this question with a specific intention in mind. It was to kind of offer a kind of creative interruption of that kind of process that we get ourselves into when we treat ourselves like a machine, when we treat ourselves like a thing, when we treat ourselves like a mechanism. Because what happens when many of us find ourselves in that place where we're just driving ourselves and driving ourselves and driving ourselves and driving ourselves is that we're on autopilot. How can we tell if you're on autopilot? You're probably familiar with this already. This is how I can tell I'm on autopilot. What do you mean it's been nine hours since I've had anything to eat? And somehow miraculously, I'm famished, and I just start stuffing things down into my mouth. What do you mean I haven't gotten up from this desk in four and a half hours, and now, miraculously, somehow, my back is killing me? This and these are signs that we are on autopilot. So I've recently discovered a very good tool for practicing self-care, for creative interruption of treating ourselves as a machine, as a thing, as something to be exploited, objectified, manipulated. And it goes by the not terribly auspicious name of you feel like shit. (laughs) That's what it's called. You can Google that. I encourage you to Google that because attention-grabbing title notwithstanding, there's really nothing scandalous at all about This little website, it is a tool for self-care. It will direct you through a whole bunch of choices around, in the moment, reflecting on practicing self-care, such as this. Drink a glass of whatever liquid you like best. I like this very friendly voice I I experience this as. Water is ideal, but don't beat yourself up. If you'd rather have tea, soda, juice, or milk, soda will actually make you feel thirstier. But if it's easier for you, then that's okay. And then you click on the end after you've done it. Okay, I did it. And I'll ask you a whole bunch of these other questions. And so I'll show you another one from further on in the sequence. Can you take a guess at how many hours you've slept out of the last 24? Everyone, you're all individuals. Everyone is an individual with different sleep schedules, but most people need eight hours of relatively uninterrupted sleep. If you had less than that and or woke up frequently and or had nightmares, it might help you to take a nap. 
can go take a nap right now if you want to. We'll, we'll wait for on the rest because this is the way it goes. You go and take a nap. Keep that page open. And when you come back from your nap, you say, I am well rested. Next question. But it's not just about kind of the biological functions. It's also the emotional ones. Are you feeling lonely or in need of attention? So you answer that yes or no. And if you say, yeah, I'm feeling lonely. Next screen comes up. Everybody feels lonely sometimes. If you're feeling lonely, there's a way to reach out to people. You're doing one of them, by the way, so congratulations for showing up. You can talk to someone in your house or call someone on the phone. You can also use texting or Facebook Messenger to speak to someone. You may not want to talk about how you're feeling or may not. You may not. Anything you want to talk about is okay. If that isn't or doesn't seem possible, you can post a general message on Facebook, Tumblr, or Vent, or another internet service about whatever you want, and then you choose and you go on to the next one. I have done this and really taken it seriously, and it can take about an hour and 45 minutes. Because what it helps us do, what it helped me do, especially as someone who struggles from time to time, not all the time, but from time to time to prioritize my self-care, to be in touch is to do what that acronym says. If you know it, HALT. HALT, stop, pause, standing for hungry, angry, lonely, tired. All states in which, to quote the great poet Ice Cube, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> and if you don't know that song, I apologize for using it. The lyrics, save for that, are really vile. So yeah, I'm not endorsing that song. I'm endorsing that principle. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Halt. Stop. Pause. Drop in. Stop treating yourself. Stop treating ourselves like a machine. Because the truth is, for many of us, for many of us, the opposite of self-care isn't self-hatred. I mean, many of us at times do have experience of self-loathing. It's a very painful state to be in. But what I find most often is that the opposite of self-care is not self-hatred. The opposite of self-care is self-neglect. From that place, from that mindless autopilot state of being, we forget to take care of ourselves. And from that place, we end up making reactive, unhealthy choices. The kind that might sound like, I can't believe I just drank all of that. Or I can't believe I just ate all of that. Or I can't believe, whatever it is, fill in the gap for the thing that you do from that reactive place because you haven't been taking care of yourself and you're trying to make up for all that lost time. Yeah. And it's actually from those places, from that guilt or that shame or that regret, that then many of us do start to taste the bitter fruits of self-hatred. Self-care is about being in touch moment by moment, little by little, with who we really are. Not in an idealized or conceptual sense, but about what is really happening in our lives. There's a beautiful articulation of this by Buckminster Fuller, who I like to call, and other people do, Bucky Fuller. You know, the futurist, the architect, was a Unitarian Universalist, by the way. Uh, he wrote this great little thing a number of years ago. He's passed on into whatever realm of existence he is right now. And he put it this way. He said, I live on earth at present, and I don't know what I am. I know I am not a category. I know I am not a thing, a noun. I seem to be a verb, an evolutionary process, an integral function of the universe. 
Talk about blowing open this idea of us having a solid identity. See, what Bucky Fuller's pointing at right here is something that is very much native to our own theological tradition. It's called process theology. Uh, process theology given voice to a philosopher, a youth philosopher named Charles Hartshorn with the wonderful little title of his book, Omnipotence and Other Theological Mistakes. Process theology, which we give voice to in our own core beliefs here at Wellsprings, when we say we can experience the divine by living fully, by loving generously, and being who we are called to be. Verb, 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 verb. Being who we're called to be, living fully, loving generously, more verb, less noun, less thing, more process, greater permission for self-care I find when I treat myself as an unfolding process rather than a solid state of something. These freer and more open states. This is actually who I believe at base we are until we paper over it with all kinds of things, ego states, identities that we feel we need to protect. We can drop into this level of awareness in all kinds of ways. One of the things I like to do is particularly notice when I am in kind of hot states, you know, anger or deep sadness and something that I'm kind of really feeling myself kind of calcify around, kind of harden around. Uh, so this is a question I ask myself, particularly like, you know, when I'm angry. And I've asked this of other folks as well. Instead of saying I'm angry about X, whatever the X is, whatever the thing, whatever the person, whatever the experience, rephrase the question in this way. Tell me, or tell myself, about what it's like to be angry. It does not delegitimize the anger. It does not say anger is wrong or bad or vile or sinful or anything like that. It asks ourselves, what's going on right now? See, that's the place from which I have learned to deal with anger, with shame, with guilt in a much more skillful way. These states, which sometimes can feel totally out of control, can actually become workable. In these states, sometimes we find ourselves just carried away. But if we treat ourselves not like a thing, but like a verb, a process, we get to interrupt the pain train. The pain train that for so many of us has built over years and calcifies or hardens into the state called suffering. I believe the absolute truth about our lives is that we are more resilient than we think we are. And that we can touch regularly this reality that many of us worry about. This question, this concern. Am I enough? Do I have what it takes? Can I cut it? Am I enough? At the deep heart of self-care, it is about this experience of being enough. Now, these are words you may have seen before. These are words I've said to people before. These are words that I've had said to me. And sometimes they are a wonderful grace note. You are enough. It's what I true, truly do believe in my heart. And I think there's a limit to what telling someone else or telling ourselves you are enough can actually accomplish. I experienced something like this recently when I ran into uh, someone who is a candidate for our Unitarian Universalist ministry. I mean, this person is a star. They're awesome. They got the whole package. They're going to be great in this ministry. They're going to be great for this ministry. And I knew their appointment before the ministerial fellowship committee was coming up. 
big day, (laughs) big day, a lot riding on that day. And I said, you know, I want to tell you that you're going to rock it, (laughs) that you're incredible. But I recognize that actually might be counterproductive and putting more pressure on you. And this person said, yeah, I don't know that I've got that internalized right now. (laughs) I don't know that I'm really kind of feeling that right now. That's why actually I believe the phrase you are enough can be counterproductive because it actually, if someone's not feeling that state or you're not feeling that state and someone tells you that and you're like, well, what's wrong with me that they can see that I'm enough and I can't feel it? gets a little dangerous, a little tricky. And so maybe we can cut that enoughness down to size. Into the moment. That maybe just right now we can experience what it is to be enough. Not for all time, but just for now. There's um, a researcher, a person named Kristen Neff that some of you might be familiar with. She is, in many ways, uh, America's foremost uh, researcher into what is called self-compassion, which just very briefly rests on three foundations. Mindfulness, awareness of what's actually happening right now in this moment. Kindness, treating ourselves like a friend with friendliness. And the realization that none of us is truly alone. Life is difficult for everyone. We don't have to be so isolated. So Kristen Neff isn't just a researcher and brilliant articulator of the principles of self-compassion. She is a practitioner. She tells a story about raising her son, her beloved son, Rowan, who is autistic. And especially when Rowan was early in his diagnosis, age two, three, four, five, the expression of his experience of autism was very difficult and very painful for Kristen Neff. She often felt as if other parents had it all together and she was the one who was messing up. She was the one whose child was the only kind of deviation from the norm. She knew that was a lie, but she felt that sense of isolation. She tells a story about taking a transatlantic flight with Rowan when he was four years old and something disturbed him and he was in great distress And he began a thrashing, violent tantrum in the middle of this transatlantic flight. Now, if you're a parent, maybe just kind of recognize into that feeling, I'm not a parent. And already I can feel a little bit of that anxiety. And people on the plane were shooting daggers with their eyes at her. You know, those questions that can feel like, what are you doing wrong? How are you so messed up? Control that child. And she said she grabbed Rowan and went down the aisle and tried to get into one of the bathrooms, at least so they could get a little private zone by themselves. But all the bathrooms were locked, and she was just standing there with this thrashing, upset child. This is where the practice matters. She began in her own mind articulating self-compassion. I'm so sorry this is happening. This is so sad. This is hard. And saying to herself, I'm here with you. I won't abandon you. Talking to herself with kindness and awareness. And also recognizing this kind of sucks. 
And what she found is that as she calmed and soothed, it didn't make it all go away. But in that moment, it was enough. As she calmed and soothed herself, she was in a better place to be able to care and love her child, who was also able to experience this sense of calming and soothing. I love that this story happens on an airplane because what do you always say, especially if you're parents? What is it said? Put on your own oxygen mask first. (laughs) This is what self-compassion is about. That with just enough air, (laughs) then we can care. And then we can care for others. Enough, not all at once, but for now. In the tradition in which I was raised, uh, Judaism, the Passover season is coming up soon. And as part of the ritual meal enacting the journey from bondage in Egypt to freedom through the desert into the promised land, as part of that Seder meal, uh, one of the songs that we sing, and I won't try to sing it because even trying to clap it out, you'll recognize how awful my voice is. It's called Dainu. And some of you kind of die, Dainu, die. All right, you get it. But what Dainu means is it would have been enough. It would have been enough, God, to be released from bondage and to be free. It would have been enough, God, that you gave us matzah, you know, or, or maror, excuse me. Or, God, why, I, this is why I became a Unitarian Universalist. <laughs> manna, thank you. Manna from heaven that you fed us with manna in the desert. Would have been enough. Would have been enough if you gave us the Torah. Would have been enough if you gave us the entrance into the promised land, a place of freedom, it would have been enough. See, from that place of recognizing that we can have enough for now, it actually opens us up to the reality of what may be enough later. Not all at once. In an internal way, this is what self-care is all about. We don't have to try so freaking hard. (laughs) We cannot do it all at once. In fact, that elicits more suffering within our lives. That creates the conditions of more suffering for ourselves and others. We're going to talk more about this later in this series as we kind of expand upon the implications of what self-care means. But what I believe most firmly is that self-care is not selfish. In fact, self-care is the antidote to greed. That wanting mind that evolution has given us so we can, you know, survive, you know, a threatening environment, but that can become miswired and we can think nothing is ever enough. This is the root of all addictions, by the way, on the small scale and the large scale. We see a society that has been created and miscreated by greed, by some of us who have enough hoarding. I mean, if you paid attention to the news this past week, you know this phrase, the Panama Papers. Maybe talk about that a little later in the series. But, you know, there's a whole system out there that helps those who have plenty have even more plenty. And it creates the conditions in which some who truly do not have enough have even less. Self-care is not an isolated philosophy or a practice. Self-care builds us up, and so by building ourselves up, it builds up our world. We say these words 
every week here at Wellsprings. If we want to enter heaven on earth, we need only one conscious step and one conscious breath. The most important word in that. I know what it is for me. I mean, conscious is really good. <laughs> it's the opposite of autopilot. <laughs> it's the opposite of mindless. It's the opposite of machine. Step. It's really good. One at a time. Breath. Big fan of breath. <laughs> but that's not the most important word. One. Enough for right now. Little by little. Step by step. Breath by breath. Learning enough. By knowing we are enough. Right now. Yes, I believe we're all enough. More anything else though. May we all experience that we are enough. May it be so now. Amen. May you live in blessing. Would you pray with me? God, this step, this seat, this breath. What else do we need right now? What other identities or pains or sufferings are we hardening around that tell us the story that somehow we're not enough and because of this we believe we are unworthy or we take the opposite tack and we cling and we find ourselves, if not in money, although maybe in that, becoming greedy people. May we recognize what is enough for now. Let go of the toxins and the poisons of the story of not enough, and so create the conditions of abundance for ourselves and abundance for our, all of us. One step, one seat, one breath. Surely enough for now. Amen.